to another episode of Setting the Tone, an ER retrospective, the show where we do a chronological breakdown of every episode of our favorite TV medical drama. My name is Elizabeth, and joining me today, as always, are Lauren. Hello. And Daniel. Hey. Today, I'll be discussing Season 5, Episode 14, which is titled The Storm, Part 1. The episode aired on February 11th, 1999. Lauren, what was going on that week 22 years ago? In missed news from last week, the Denver Broncos defeated the Atlanta Falcons 34-19 to win Super Bowl 33. Broncos quarterback John Elway is named MVP of the game. And technically he plays in the Pro Bowl after this, but this realistically, he retires after this game. His, la- his last real game. Yeah. Rode off into the sunset. Yeah, because <laughs> he's a Broncos. Pluto, I'm I'm riding right through that, you guys. Pluto, which is definitely still a planet, no matter what scientists say, moves further away from the sun than Neptune, making it the solar system's outermost planet once again. It should hold on to that title for about 228 years. Payback, starring Mel Gibson and ER alum Maria Bello, debuts and takes the number one spot at the box office. And Baby One More Time by Britney Spears holds on to the music chart crown for its second and final week. I also realized we're in 1999 now. Mm-hmm. Do you know what happens at the end of 1999? Y2K? The millennium. What? The millennium. Y2K, yeah. Because you're so smooth. <laughs> oh, man. Is that the end of 99 or is That's, that the summer? I, thought, I always associate that as end the of summer. summer so song. like all, pretty much all of season six when we talk about it is going to be dominated by that song. So Great. get used to that. Uh, are you talking about Smooth by, uh, by Santana? By Santana, okay, because that Rob did not Thomas. sound Featuring like Smooth. Featuring Rob by... Thomas of Matchbox 20. Because that did not sound like I was, Smooth that was by my Santana. Really bad, that was my really bad Rob Thomas impression. That, I hate to say it, but yes, that was. But yeah. now I know what we're talking about. <laughs> I'm a podcaster, not uh, a singer. Right, I, I love that song, Un- unabashedly. I'm going to be so oh, happy no, yeah, I, that. that. That song does not, uh, it gets entirely too much hate like it's it's perfectly um, fine i don't hate it it's just I, I just after listening to how much it tortured uh chris diana and sarah at 30 2010 <laughs> yeah we did yeah. get to sort of uh, hear their dismay over it seven and eight year old lauren saying that far too much so yeah you'll be in heaven i'll be in heaven as for what else was on that evening at 8 p.m., friends, with the episode The One Where Everybody Finds Out, why wasn't the one before this titled The One Where Everybody Fucks Around? <laughs> like, come on. It was right there. It was right there. Come on, friends, writers. Uh, at 8.30 p.m., Jesse with the episode Crazy White Female. D- Jesse? Don't like you've that. You've piqued my interest. Don't you've like that. you my interest. At 9 p.m., Frasier with the episode Three Valentines. And at 9.30 p.m., Veronica's Closet with the very interestingly titled, but probably not as interesting to watch, Veronica Plays House. I really want to see a Veronica- Kirstie Alley try to do the house formula for an episode. <laughs> that would be like, mm. Hey, we've done it. So she can do it, I'm sure, she, too. So It's lupus. Just kidding. It's lingerie. Yeah. Uh, viewers this week 31.9 million viewers tuning in uh, we are right in the thick of uh, sweeps uh, weeks here so it's going to be a big number this week and I think an even bigger number next week as you might imagine being Clooney's last episode that they heavily promote uh, and this week is directed and written by showrunner John Wells uh, as a director this is his second out of nine episodes so he really picks his spots only does the special ones Uh, The previous one of his we talked about was Carter's Choice from last season uh, and written, as I said, by John Wells doing his 15th out of 32 previous ones from last season we did were Carter's Choice and Fathers and Sons. And this episode was nominated 
keyword nominated did not win because the academy is crooked uh or i guess it's not the academy it's i don't know what's the, the like the golden body Globes for people. the the Emmys? i don't know yeah. those fucks over at golden globes Who knows? <laughs> this this episode was nominated for best single camera picture editing which is a mouthful to say well uh, previously on this week is brought to us by mark and question before i forget i'm assuming they probably they probably heavily promoted this as like the end of george clooney on <laughs> The sh- like, <laughs> like, well, yeah. like, I have for yeah. Doug's farewell to Doug. Yeah, I have definitely seen uh, like TV Guide um, inserts and stuff from like it was like the the heart stopping two part finale or not finale but like you know end of George Clooney's time on ER. I forget how they phrased it, but yeah, yeah there, there was a, there was definitely a lot of promotion. People were aware that this that this and the next and part two were it it for yeah Mr. Clooney. Well, technically not. We'll get there. Well, actually, yeah. but and I mean the 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 internet is enough of a thing by this point too that like the industry magazines and stuff like that are probably heavily covering his movie career and like they yeah. know that he's done. Like he's. He's got He's bigger, much better too things big. waiting for him. Exactly. He has to go be a man of constant sorrow. All right, but... Uh, We're just going to keep making that joke until I, he's I, gone. I am. I only have two more opportunities to do it. So. That's true. Um, but Doug is sleeping on a chair, low, ominous music playing as he sleeps. And can I just say, right off the bat, this is, pr- this is easily my favorite soundtrack episode. Mm-hmm. Like, Martin nails it on the all fronts. The score is so good. Yeah, uh, Carol comes downstairs to wake him. They're at um, Joy's house. Yep. As as we left off at the end of last episode, it's almost six a.m. and she brings him some really strong coffee. Uh, Carol does that is. Ricky is still alive and Joy isn't really holding up very well. Um, as as you can imagine, a mother watching her son mm-hmm. slowly and agonizingly die would would be great. Would be. Um, Carol has to go to work, and Doug's shift starts at 7, so got a mosey on out of there. And what? Oh, I just wanted to note, Carol also says, I'm amazed he made it through the night. Yeah. Yeah. And we're going to go into our first audio of the episode. This is going to be, all of our clips this week are a little bit long, except for our second one. But, um, so just bear with us a little bit, but all of them are primo. <laughs> Uh, Doug is heading upstairs to check on Joy and Ricky. That's this first one. Hey. I love this time of night, just before dawn. So quiet, peaceful. When they're babies, it's the best time. You complain about it, but... It's when you're closest to them, singing to them in the dark, nursing. Did you sleep? I must have. I closed my eyes for a moment, and he was laughing. He was getting up to go to school. He was kidding me about how much I worry. We always used to do that. Try to cheer me up, make me laugh. Mm. Oh, God. When was his last booster? About an hour ago. They won't give me any more. Mommy? Go back to sleep, sweetheart. I'm thirsty. I'll get you a drink of water, okay? 
Increase it a lot. It's going to make it more difficult for him to breathe. I don't know how much more of this I can take. Will you please help us. Please. I I can't watch him suffer anymore. He's suffered enough. No more. No more. Um, I want to start off by completely ruining this mood by saying, as always, Lauren misses the point with children. <laughs> that little girl was old enough to get her own goddamn water. They did not. Oh, my God. I know. I know. <laughs> I, I had that thought while we were watching the episode, and I was like, I have to say it because I, because mm, what, what would I do if not ruining the point with how much I don't understand small children? <laughs> uh... But yeah, let's talk about the heavy stuff now. I just wanted to lighten it so we can bring it right back down. So, physician-assisted suicide, am I right, folks? Uh, yeah, I mean... Lauren almost spit out her water. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this is... I mean, this is a really good way to tell that kind of story, mm-hmm. I, yeah. I would say. Like, this is maybe the best possible way to tell that kind of story. Like, because it's the kind of thing that everybody can relate to on some level. You know, seeing yeah. a child, especially a child Ricky's age, in pain, in the kind of agonizing, like debilitating unrelenting pain that he's in and yeah this is and again you you touched on it at the top but like the score the score is just pitch perfect like the way that and he talked about this a little bit in his interview but like and he he, but he was mostly talking about it in the context of trauma scenes Mm -hmm. letting the music yield to the chaos sometimes Mm -hmm. and this was sort of a, a a a different flavor of that where it was like he was letting the the score kind of yield to just the gravity and the weight of the moment just like a very it's, simple it's yeah, it's, it's there very it's, simple bass beats it's almost like a heartbeat the way yeah. he does yeah. it yeah it's there and and you know it's there but it never overtakes what's happening in the scene and i just mm. Martin, you did it again, my friend. Yeah. And uh, I just, I also love to, and we see this play out more across the the rest of the episode. But I really, I haven't appreciated until this episode the um, the excellent chemistry between Joy and Doug. Yes. Those yeah. two are very good scene partners. Yeah, I pulled the scene with them later on, and it's just like I really just wanted to get as much Clooney as I possibly could. Kind mm-hmm. of get it in where we can fit it in. That's yeah. for sure. But also, they they have such great on screen, like. Yeah, I I don't want to call it chemistry because there's like nothing like romantic or anything. Like no, no, no. That, yeah, but but like... but, but there is a, a, another kind of chemistry that like you and, and it's usually the in the opposite. You can usually tell when people have no chemistry whatsoever and, and are just like very wooden playing off of one another, and especially when it's somebody like this who is coming in kind of cold off the street and is only going to be there for two to three episodes. Like it's I'm sure it's got to be difficult as an actor to kind of cultivate that 
chemistry where it feels like they've known each other for years based off of nothing and they manage to do that very quickly and very believably and in this episode it really shines through where you know like you said that conversation later in the episode i mean that that is one of my favorite moments of him on the entire show i think yeah that whole conversation i was also just when we got to this point i was like we're finally here we're finally to yeah. what we've been building to for the last few episodes when we said oh yeah. shit it's happening it's happening guys it's happened yeah yeah this is it it's it's weird to think about for me to thinking of like you know when we i mean obviously our plan all along has been to do every single episode but it still feels weird to think that we're get we're here at really arguably the first i mean yes you could argue Susan's first departure was like the first major moment of the show's history but like this is the first like like mile marker i think like this is the yeah. first like where it's like oh shit okay this is like a seismic shift in the the tone look yeah. and feel of the show like this is we're we're gonna be moving into something completely different yeah. once this is over that's what i was gonna say because after this in part two we do get a soft reboot sort of yeah which they they actually do a good job of setting up in this episode which i completely forgot about i thought that episode just came out of cold nowhere and then i uh re- then i forgot as i was watching this that no they do actually like tease where this is going and you'll eventually figure out what they're talking about. As always, I have no clue what we're talking about. <laughs> well, it's more we'll, like we'll introducing there. characters between the end of this season and into season six. No, we yeah. Get, and and two, I think so much. So we get multiple major characters and that will be on the show I, for a long time. Yeah. And I think Lizzie and I too might be referring to two different things, which we'll talk about the thing I'm talking about later on. But okay. I, I do, I do agree with what Lizzie's talking about that. There is sort of a, a soft reboot. And I think after, uh, not next episode, obviously, but and the one, and after the one after that, th- they do sort of have a little f- three to four week period of like trying to find themselves again. Mm-hmm. Like they they have a period of like, oh shit, like which I mean, shows have lost b- stars before. I mean, look at Grey's Anatomy, look at all the all the the shows that have come and gone over the years. They, they've all dealt with losing a part of their cast at some point. But has a show ever lost the biggest movie star in the world <laughs> right in the middle of its season? Like, this isn't a season finale. They still have, like, almost half of a season to program here. And they're losing not only their biggest star, but they're losing the biggest movie star on the planet smack in the middle of their season. Like, I, I wouldn't have blamed them for just completely cratering the rest of the season and just being like, oh, fuck it. We got to take some time to figure out how to work this out. So and it's only a third of a season, realistically, yeah. but and, still. And I want to note, Daniel brought up Grace first this episode. It yep. wasn't us this time. Yep. Um, can can we go on from there? Yeah, go yes. on. Uh, we come in with Twinkles again. The, what up? We may be losing Doug, but we are gaining some Twinkles. I'll take it. Um, there we find out there's a winter storm warning from the TV in the ER. Jerry is watching. Um, he's very concerned about the storm through the episode. We find out Lydia is going to go cross-country skiing with Al in Wisconsin. Jerry is going ice fishing, to which Lynette makes tons of fun of him for. And it's just some very cute admit desk shenanigans here. Just I always love noting when we get those little pieces, because it's been kind of few and far between lately. So the nurse and the admit gang are, are up to their shenanigans. Um, we find out that Lydia bought Jerry a vocabulary word of the day calendar, <laughs> so he gets to learn more. And his word of the day today, he cannot pronounce, and Randy surprisingly knows it and just says the definition. When everybody looks at her, she's like, what, I went to Jesuit high school. Or something like that. <laughs> yeah, she's something like that. Are Jesuit high schools, like, is that a... I 
think like a thing where people get incredibly intelligent. No, I think it was the, the the specific word had kind oh. of those connotations, and that's why she knew it was because of that. Um, but yeah, then Mark and Carrie are talking about the chief change to Romano. Uh, Doyle overhears and of course freaks out, and she's like, "Uh, what? No, fuck." Um, of course, Rocket comes down right as Carrie is calling him a bunch of names, including a bullet head referring to his baldness. <laughs> and he has split up all of his tasks between Carrie and Mark instead of doing any of his own work, to well, which they're like... He's doing his own work. He's just doing all of his surgical work. Yeah, He's but, fucked off from yeah, all of the but, ERC And Carrie calls him out on that. She's like, what the fuck are you going to be doing? And he's like, I'm delegating. That's what management does. Bye. Didn't you uh, read I'll, that book? Yeah. Right, I love the book thing. He throws yeah. that right back in her face like... Mm. Um, he says he may have to start an investigation into Carrie's cruelty based off her bullet head comment. And he's like, aren't you offended, Mark? Aren't you offended by that? So just totally 180s it on her. And Mark goes, this is going to be fun. It's just real good, real good uh, chemistry and interplay between the three of them there. Um, in, in any other episode, that would have been the end of the cold open and they would have gone right into the bangs. Yep. Like they would have, that would have been a perfect bang moment. I also want to note ice cold. Uh, Romano says to Maggie, looking forward to working with you again, Maggie. <sighs> I'm really bummed that that doesn't last mm. very long before that has its inevitable conclusion, because I would have liked to have seen a good solid season and a half of chief Romano and, you know, resident Doyle just butting heads and, yeah. Like her wanting to, her wanting to like antagonize him and him knowing he can't get rid of her without getting, you know, starting a lawsuit. And just like, I just, mm, I want that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then we have Carol approaching Doug, who has finally come into work, and she asks how Ricky was when he left. And Doug just responds alive and then goes about his day. Mood, am I right? Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> then uh, Dale is. Uh, Dale and Lucy are talking about watching Titanic, which Dale lovingly refers to as a chick flick. Which, okay, fuck you, I, fuck mm, y'all. It's an amazing movie. The whole it's, shitting on Titanic thing that he and Carter do, I was just, I was having none of it. Maybe it's because I'm a chick and I like that flick, but yeah. I was not having it. Not not a chick, and I actually very much enjoy that movie. Thank the, you. Yeah. Yes, the rom- yes, the romance stuff gets a little heavy-handed at points, yeah. but it's also like, as somebody who is really... Uh, bullish about not watching long movies and hating mm-hmm. them uh titanic does not feel like no. a four-hour movie and what, there's one line that carter or that that carter says where he's like um hoop skirts uh leonardo dicaprio and romance sounds like my version of hell or something like that <laughs> and then she's like what happened to all the 90s sensitive men and dale's like they're all gay right carter yeah it's it's this is a real great. 90s 90s ass uh interplay between dale it's, and carter here and i don't like it's it. real it's really not great and we go into some other toxic masculinity which lizzie yeah. can take yeah, us back uh, carter asked uh lucy goes into the trauma room and carter asks uh you know are her and dale getting serious and if they've had sex and dale says he wouldn't want to damage lucy's reputation but quote thongs and points out that you that if you in the right light you can see them through her scrubs He's like, but don't take my word for it. Yeah. Ugh. Dale, once again, Ugh. continuing to be an absolute, the absolute skeeziest doctor. On, uh, I, on I'm going to say this in relation to this particular discussion. Please, listeners, do not take offense to this. Daniel, do not take offense to this, but God, I hate men. Okay. <laughs> back. 
as speaking as a former man, yeah. I love you. Yeah. We're kind of the <laughs> it's worst. Like that, it's like that thing, hashtag not all men, but especially this fucking guy. Yeah. Like, that's, that's, the, <laughs> that's exactly it. Is oh, like, this is like just peak. Yeah, like, hashtag not all men, but definitely this fucking guy. <laughs> yeah. Com- like, people complain that Romano doesn't really get any, like, justification for being the way he is or, like, doesn't get any redemption arc or anything like that. I would say that Dale is that personified in like volume cranked up to 11 like Dale Dale sucks and only gets worse and never really learns anything like Dale is the most one-dimensional like fucking he's just a two by four he's just <laughs> uh, he's a two by four with a dick and he just oh my god a I just two by four so- with a dick yeah, can we I get just- that on a sticker I, I hate it'll him be, so much. It'll be a little. It'll be a drawing of a two by four with just dick butt drawn on it. <laughs> and wearing only, a no, wearing a lab with, coat that with says Dale's, with Just with Dale's face and a and an ID badge with in a lab coat. Oh, I <sighs> want it. I want it so bad. Oh my god! All right, so we go from there uh, to see Benton. Uh, practicing in the cafeteria with a woman uh, learning ASL, um, and it's. Uh, noted famous deaf woman which we brought up uh i think earlier this season or late in season four uh marley maitland who is we we talked about her a lot when uh i think dr parks first showed up that she was she was and and in many ways still is kind of like the deaf lady in hollywood Mm -hmm. like she is if you need a deaf character you call marley maitland um, she was in stuff like Children of a Lesser God, uh, or had a recurring role on Law and Order SVU, and was also in The West Wing, uh, among many other I things. I love her. Yeah, I do too. And, and that's why I was really surprised to find out this is her one and only appearance, and that this doesn't really go anywhere. Like, this she had, mentions... This had a lot of potential. So this had much s- potential. They had such um, good chemistry, too, in that right, one scene. Yeah. Like, and it, get, she, it gives Benton motivation to extend his arc. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, I'm not sure why they abandoned. I, I I hope that it was something as simple as like scheduling conflicts that she was just too busy and they couldn't get her in for multiple episodes. Mm-hmm. Because I would hate to think that they wrote this specifically to be a dead end thing. And they kind. I mean, it's it's not written that way because she recommends three times a week for 150 bucks. So and he's you know like trying to figure out how to fit that into his budget. He mentions it in another scene. So to me, it seems like they're trying to set something up and then it just kind of fizzles out and doesn't go anywhere. Yeah. And that, that bums me out. Cause I think that could have been maybe, gold. maybe it's because she got her consistent work on West wing. Yeah. Could very well be. I, I, I would hope that's the case. I would hope that it was just a matter of, you know, scheduling oh, yeah. and not that they couldn't, well, uh, West wing started at this point. Hasn't oh, it? Oh, you're or... right. It would be a little bit further in. Maybe yeah. She's was... a little bit further in. I think, yeah, I think I looked on her IMDb, and I think it said she was on between 2000 and mm-hmm, 2006. Yeah. So, so coming up. Off and Intermittently, on. Coming up. yeah. But, yeah, I mean, if you look at her IMDb, she's always doing something. So yeah, it wouldn't surprise her. me if she was just busy. Yeah. But um, we go from there to Mark checking on Mobilaje, um, find out that the urologist, or according to him, the urologist said everything is good. Important to note. Um Mark says that he'd be happy to clarify any questions that he may have about his appointment. Uh, and based on his body language and just kind of the way he's acting about it, Mark kind of calls him out on it immediately that you never actually saw a urologist at all, did you? <laughs> and uh, he still hasn't told his wife about needing to see a doctor because he doesn't want to scare her. And Mark very nicely offers to explain it to her. Best, best Mark. Yeah, we're back to good Mark. Yeah. Right? I know. We've earned this. We've, we deserve this. 
And uh, now we move on to sort of the 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 climb, the beginning of the climax of the of Clooney's arc on the show. Uh, Ricky and Joy are brought in on an ambulance. Ricky was found unresponsive, um, and Doug was like, "What the fuck? Why'd you call the amb- Why'd you call an ambulance?" And Ricky's dad called the ambulance, who hasn't been in the picture so far. Um, and Joy wanted him to die peacefully alone at home. And Carol call, uh, calls Doug into the trauma. Um, actually, okay, so it was... No, Carol asked why yeah. why I was brought in. Okay, I got that confused. You're good. There's a lot going on. This is an extraordinarily dense episode. From here on out, it's... Yeah. It's kind of all killer, no filler. Yes. Um, Carol brings Doug into the trauma. Joy says he's on Dilaudid in front of Mark and Carrie. And uh, Dad punches Doug out in the trauma room and calls him a son of a bitch. And Lauren? Uh, this is a worse spot for me to put it, but whose films are those? <laughs> <laughs> I typed it, and then afterwards I was like, that's real inappropriate, but that's that's the first one I noticed. Yeah. And, okay, I have a question for... I should have asked this to Jake before we recorded this episode, mm-hmm. but what happens when you have two parents and one doesn't want resuscitative measures to be taken and the other one does and they're separated not divorced yeah i guess at that point it would it would default to who has but they probably have some kind of joint i don't know though like it yeah because this she's made it clear that he's mostly out of the picture so i yeah. would imagine that, that if anybody she's taking has care, yeah she's taking custody care of by herself him. yeah i don't know that that it would be a good i'm typing question. fast let's see if we get an answer by the end of the episode yeah we can we can come back to that but uh they they sort of half-heartedly work on because everyone knows that this kid ain't coming back. This right. like that. This is the natural progression of Ricky's illness. So, uh, Mark and Mark does declare time of death after a few, after a couple minutes of them. Like they intubate him and they do some CPR. They give him Epi and all the appropriate drugs, but no response. Still very much flatlined. And R.I.P. in peace, Ricky. Yikes. And uh, Dad here, Mr. Abbott, being that this is the first time we've met him, he's played by actor Connor O'Farrell, who appeared in the TV series CSI, as well as the movie The Pacific, and he's making his first of two appearances as Mr. Abbott. I want to note note that his first name is Richard, which also means dick. (laughs) Um, From there, we have Mark stitching Doug's face up because he got a nice gash from where he was clocked. Um, Carol notes when the, when the three of them are talking that Joy and the husband were separated. So dad hasn't been in the picture. And uh, so let's, you know, let's get a little more set up uh, to Peter's story, to Peter's future storyline here. Uh, Corday and Peter are talking about his expenses. Child support, my med school loans. Yeah, I don't know how I'm going to shake it. And how much do you have to pay in school loans? Uh, over 120 grand. Oh, that's barbaric. Well, you know, pay me 700 a month. That's a quarter of my take-home pay. Money was, Peter. Every resident's chief complaint. You know, I'll never understand this country's insistence on forcing its highly trained residents to live in abject poverty. And slave labor. Only way the public health system can afford to provide care for all the uh, freeloaders. By freeloaders, you mean people without educational opportunities, job training, children, and the infirm. Yeah, like I said, freeloaders. You're a despicable human being. Do you know that? So, having trouble making ends meet? Things are a little tight right now. Well, why don't you do what I did, apply to a locum tenens program? A locum what? Tenens. 
filling in for vacationing surgeons in rural hospitals in uh, Minnesota, the Dakotas, on your vacation time. A lot of these places don't have enough staff to cover when somebody's out, and they pay you a bundle to step in. Oh, yeah? What's a bundle? Uh, eight, ten grand for a couple of weeks. I love how Lizzie's, uh, like, attitude towards Romano has changed to a completely zero fucks given attitude. Disdain. (laughs) Just like, I'm no longer going to pretend that I like you. I'm just going to tell you exactly what I think of you. Well, she thinks he's a virulent ponce. (laughs) Which is my favorite, one of my favorite British insults. Oh, man. I just love this. Like, everybody is, like, particularly Romano and and Corday here. Like, I I love getting to, to see them really go head to head yeah i that's why i asked for that part of the audio clip to be thrown in because i started writing notes on it and i was like can we please just get this because it's really good and it just shows how much of a sleaze romano really is about everything yeah except and he it, did it, something kind of like not exactly not exactly um what's the word i'm looking for philanthropic or like helpful. charitable helpful yeah charitable because um, obviously they're getting paid a lot of money to do it, but like still something that not a lot of doctors would do, going mm. to a rural hospital or clinic or something like that to fill in. Which perfectly sets up episode exactly. sixteen. Yeah, uh, exactly. Which is so. that that and that's that's what I like about this is that it gives a little bit of justification for that because if you watch this episode or if you watch this season like friend of the show Jake did, and you get built up to this big you know huge moment of Doug leaving, he was like. It's really strange to then follow that up with Benton goes to Mississippi. And I was like, yeah, but like they lay the breadcrumbs. They do lay the breadcrumbs. And also, too, I think it's really smart on their part to let the events of this big two part episode breathe for a single episode. Like they just go, hey, let's get let's get out of Chicago. Let's let's get get everybody away from the ER for a bit just to give everything a chance to breathe because it would be really jar. I think it would arguably be more jarring if you tried to come back and just have another regular day at the ER after mm-hmm. Doug is gone. Like I think that would just yeah. be really really hard to yeah, you let's need try to let's time skip a couple right. weeks. Yeah, every, like everyone sort of settled down. The fallout has the worst of the fallout has taken its course. Yeah. But I I totally forgot that they actually even even to this extent, set up that at all. I really did think that that just went straight into a like a bottle episode, and they they just did it just for that sake, just to give everybody the audience a chance to breathe. But they did actually justify it a little bit here, so that's mm-hmm. nice. Uh, then from there, we go back to the admit desk. Jerry is trying to hint that Carrie should let them all leave early because of the big storm coming in. He says, you know, the the officials say that it's going to be really bad and employees should leave early to get home safe. You know, the government says, and Carrie's like, shut up, Jerry, you're not going anywhere. Just like, go back to work. Stop watching TV. Yeah. Um, Mark t- says that it may be months with Romano as acting chief and tells Carrie she should maybe reapply. To which Carrie's like, once, ignorant, twice, stupid. Not gonna do, <laughs> like, Carrie's just peak, like, no. She's like, you How think about? maybe, but No. no. I just have a hard time believing like having been a part of uh, obviously nothing on this level like not looking for a chief of the ER type of thing but like having gone through extensive job searches for management level positions and having it blow up in your face like this where you think you found the right person and it ends up not working out a lot of times what will happen in those situations is you do just turn to the person who's been there the longest and was applying for the job and is the easy choice and you just go hey do you still want it like because we tried to do it the like hard way and that didn't work. So let's just give it to the person who's here. Like, because at least they've continued to show up throughout this process. Like I, I, I feel like that would have been uh, Anspaugh's first move after Amanda Lee 
blew up in his face. Like I would have just gone to carry immediately and been like, Hey, I know we've kind of strung you along and that was really shitty of us, but if you're still interested, the job is yours. Yeah. Lauren's brain is kind of breaking. I, we're not going to talk about it, but yep. <laughs> okay. I've experienced it. Mm-hmm. Yep. 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 I wasn't going to go into, di- yep. I wasn't going to go into specifics, but yep. just Lauren, mm-hmm. Lauren's having a grand old time. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, and a gentleman comes in looking for Ricky's dad. Uh, he works with Ricky's dad at the state's attorney's office and they want to open an investigation, uh, potential murder of Ricky. Yikes. Yeah. Great. Stepped in it. Stepped in it big time this time, Doug. Uh, and Mr. Sullivan here, the uh, gentleman from the state's attorney's office, is played by actor James Handy, who appeared in movies like Arachnophobia, Jumanji, and The Rocketeer, and he has 143 credits to his name. I really like this guy. I'm just going to say this right now. It comes up a little bit later, but he does a really good job with this yeah. role. Yeah, he does. A, a role that shouldn't matter as much as it does. Like, it seems like this would be a very a throwaway type of... Right. Uh, character in this story but he actually does bring a lot to it and also it would be very easy for him to play a villain with this Mm -hmm. but he comes across as very sympathetic he does yeah um but then we go over to doug sitting with joy who is sitting with ricky's body um joy and dick had been separated since michael died and she called to tell richard that it was time to say goodbye he was in a conference in houston so he didn't get there until this morning and he lost it when he got there to find ricky dead um doug asks joy if she can let the nurses finish up with ricky um they talk about funeral arrangements she says she'll probably use the same one that they used for michael doug offers to call and help so she can just breathe for a little bit and mark comes in and asks to speak to doug because it turns out the cops are here mr abbott is accusing doug of murder 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 uh, so then we go from there to one of the strangest one-off cameos, I think, in the entire show. Like, one of the most out-of-left-field, off-the-wall cameos I can think of. Um, That's a actually him? Yeah. That's actually him. So a woman comes in uh, ha- after having been hit in the face during her Taibo class. Um, and her- accompanying her is her Taibo instructor, actual Taibo uh celebrity like he was one especially this time like mid to late 90s he was like one of the the biggest celebrities in the fitness world uh billy blanks uh who appeared actually in a surprising amount of movies as i was looking (laughs) at his imdb like he's in a lot of things Uh, granted he's usually either playing himself or he is playing unnamed fitness instructor so like they would have somebody come into a fitness class and he'd be the one teaching it uh, but he was in, like, The Last Boy Scout, Jack and Jill, uh, and Kiss the Girls, among other things. Um, and, yeah, so he's accompanying her with uh, in here and, and will play another another part a little bit later. So it's just, I don't know, just, like, I'm trying to imagine what the, like, thought process was to get to here where it was like, what if we have Billy Blanks make a cameo? Like, just <laughs> Why very, not? I guess, yeah. But, uh Lucy is asking the patient about uh, her weight loss from the exercise and how much it costs and everything. And uh, hope you enjoyed that detour into surgical Lucy because we're right back to like uh, cl- mm. clueless lost puppy Lucy. And it doesn't get any better this episode, let me tell you. Uh, Carter asked Lucy to uh, stitch her up. And as she's doing so, uh, we get just the, the best bit of shitty Carter as he's. Checking out Lucy's ass, trying to see the thong that Dale clued him into. 
Uh, and Lucy asks for some advice, which snaps him out of his little trance, and he kind of stumbles through the answer and then runs away. And uh, Chuni, Chuni knows what's going on. Like Chuni knows the score. Chuni is just peak this episode. She yes. is on it, and I love her. Good, good stuff from Chuni this episode. And yeah. I hate this so much. I hate this here. I hate what happens later. I hate it all. I hate it all. It's terrible. This is awful. Mm-hmm. You knew it was coming, though. I did it's know Car- it was coming, but Carter it, it... paired up with a female with a female with main a blonde character. Female. Yeah, blonde female main character. But, you knew it was coming. But there had been things prior to now that have been like I remembered not enjoying very much the first time I watched, and then as I've rewatched, they've gotten better or changed my opinion somehow. This is not one of them. This and is also, one that I hated back then, and I hate it again now. And also, Lucy's just weirdly not wearing a lab coat this entire. It's this a sweater and a tank top. Yeah, she's I think it. I, exactly. I think it's that they're trying to convey that like she's like a sex object now. Like she's a she's a thing to be desired instead of just like the nerdy medical student. Yeah. And to be fair, she's a very attractive woman. She but... is, but that doesn't mean these two need to be paired up. Uh, so let's go into something a little more serious with uh, Mark having some words with Doug. The coroner's coming over to get the body and do an autopsy. Roger Julian's coming down from genetics. He's hopping mad, says Ricky was on his service. Wants to know where the hell the mother got dilated in a PCA machine. The boy was dying. You promised Carrie and I that you wouldn't prescribe any more class he was 2 narcotics. Excruciating you pain. promised us yesterday. The mother was begging. Where the hell did you get the machine? Genetics didn't prescribe it. I know I we didn't. I got it from Carol's clinic. Come here. Carol's clinic doesn't have PCAs. She called in a favor, got it from one of her suppliers. The police are on their way to Joy Abbott's house right now. They have a warrant to impound the PCA. Are they going to find anything out of the ordinary? Like what? Like the machine set to administer enough Dilaudid to kill 10 grown men? I don't know. What do you mean you don't know? You said it. This boy was suffering, Mark. He had end-stage ALD in agony. The mother was watching this child die. Did you help him along? I gave the mother the entry code. I showed her how to change the dosage. I don't know what she did afterwards. I went to work, and you would have done the exact same thing if you were there. Anspa's coming down with Romano and Julian. Doug prescribed the PCA machine and the dilated through Carol's clinic. What? When? Right after he told us he wouldn't. Ah. We're going to have to tell Anspa about Doug violating the pain study protocol and our covering it up. I mean, they're going to scrutinize everything he's prescribed, Mark. They're going to interview the mother. It's bound to come out. What the hell's wrong with you? I mean, we trusted you, and you immediately choose to betray that trust. I'm done defending you, Doug. Defending me? You've been trying to nail me for years, Carrie. I don't nail colleagues. You want to destroy your own career? That's fine, but you stay the hell away from mine. Oh, salty Carrie. His best Carrie. Yep. That was so Mm -hmm. good. Oh, I loved the, the panic in her voice and the just... You can do whatever you want with your own career, but you stay the hell away from mine. Oh my God! Like set a set a dose for te- to kill ten grown yeah. men. Jesus. When, when she's like, you know, no, I haven't been trying to nail you. I've been trying to like keep you under control. Like you're not a victim here, asshole. Mm. Just so good. That and I think that's another aspect of this whole story arc that I love so much too is that it's it's not all just about him. Like yep. it, it's it, about the collateral damage. Yeah, the collateral damage, and it, and it, but it it gives, you know, it's so easy when you're have a big character like this that's going to leave and is going to leave this huge void. It's very easy to focus, put all the focus on them, and just let everybody else get out of the way. 
And this gives everybody else a chance to show what they're good at. You know, like mm-hmm. we get to see some of the best of Mark. We get to see some of the best of Carrie, you know, and we get to see, you know, what everybody else can do and how much opportunity there is for growth for all the other characters after he's gone. Like, And, and I love this because it's finally Mark owning up to his leadership position and not being afraid to put Doug in his place. Yeah, mm-hmm. which we've seen flashes of in the past, but like this is like coming to just like everything else. It's everything's coming to a head with. Yeah. Doug and all of his relationships and all of just everything. And I love it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Growth. Holy shit. Yeah. Um, okay. So we go over to Carol is talking to the attorney about Ricky's illness and Richard's reaction to it. Um, attorney asks about the PCA and um, he's like, that's odd because Joy told us that Doug gave her the code and showed her how to change the dosage because Carol mentions that it's protected to not give wrong amounts, that it's only this very set amount for pain control. Uh, then we go over to Anspa yelling at Mark and Carrie about the study cover-up. Oh, Anspa, so Ans- it's also great to see Anspa getting to just fucking go off this episode, too. Um, mm-hmm. They say that it's going to go public as a high-profile euthanasia case now. Uh, Doug needs to keep working until after they find out if the dad is going to sue. They cannot do any full punishments or investigations on him right now. Um, They're going to close Carol's clinic as preventative measure and as punishment for what had happened. Um, Give full cooperation to the cops. And Anspa adds, after everybody else walks away, she adds to Mark and Carrie, I don't think I've ever been more disappointed in two people in my life. Yikes. Mm. Ugh. And just the look on on both Mark and Carrie's faces after he says that too, mm. like just like two kids getting hauled into the principal's office. Daniel, I think we need to have matching uh, Twitter icons, and I think they need to be Mark and Carrie's faces here. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah. So yeah. So the the group of people in this room here it's it's Anspa, Romano, um, Julian, the the genetics doc we met uh, last episode, I think. Uh, and then also the hospital admin lady who this is the first time we've seen her since Exodus. And if, I think we talked about this in Exodus that the apparently she had also made an appearance back in the pilot. Yep. Uh, so there's just this random hospital admin lady that they like to trot out once in a while. And this For is like the, PR and stuff. Yeah. Um, but she never really does anything memorable. But this is the last time we will see her. So thought we'd thought it was worth mentioning. And may I interject with the legality of who has the we've heard from the legal department yes we've heard from friend of the show jake terrell esquire so certified lawyer man um and but this is not legal advice is, only legal right. gotta get the disclaimer yes. in there yep yeah nothing should be intended as legal advice here um he says it de- like who would have that decision making ability it depends on what their custody order says since they're separated if there is one mm-hmm. um he said, basically, whoever has the major decision-making authority will, will win. But if they have joint legal, and then if they have joint legal custody, then the life-saving procedure will most likely win. Uh, but you know, obviously, it's an emergency in this case. But one of them would probably have to file petitions within the court for a decision. But the court is likely to side with life-saving procedures. But it's a very uncommon issue. Also, obviously, Ricky is not able to speak for himself, but the other issue is that the kid would not have a say whether he is, you know, if he if the kid says he wants to die, if he's ter- he has a terminal illness, but one but the person with but the parent with legal authority disagrees, 
there is no constitutional right to die. It's the same so. reason euthanasia is such a problem in general yeah. is because there is no constitutional right to die even for adults. Yeah. yeah. You cannot do something that would actively speed up your death in most states. You can do things that will slow down treatment. You can do things for palliative care. Yeah. But you cannot make yourself worse. Yeah. yeah. You can refuse treatment. Yeah. But Aside from palliative care, at least. Yeah. So, yeah. Legal department has chimed in. Thank you, Jake. <laughs> All right. As we go from there, we find out that the snowstorm, uh, the much ballyhooed snowstorm, has finally started. Um, and I like that they they do this a couple times throughout the episode. From here on, uh, is instead of when did it start raining, we get when did it start snowing. Yes, uh, I was I so happy that. that we had weather comments because I know I mentioned early on in the early seasons the weather shit is my favorite that they sprinkle in because it's such a Chicago is a character thing. Yeah. So I was so happy that this was a a weather episode. As yeah. dumb as that was, like it, it just mm, it just adds a little extra. Uh, there's some very pretty uh, ambient music as Jeannie comes in. Uh, first time we're seeing Jeannie this episode, and Jeannie talking about the the storm and how she just barely beat it in, and asks when she doesn't really get much of a response to all of this. She then asks, "What the hell is going on?" Because everyone's just kind of very glum and not talking mm-hmm. about it. And I believe it's Jerry who fills her in on all the details yeah, of what has I happened. Think it's- I think it's Jerry and Lydia, and then Carter chimes in with something as well. Yeah, so now we're adding Jeannie to the this mess of a situation. I'm sure that won't have any negative consequences whatsoever. Not at all, but uh, Dale has been looking for Lucy, and we're told that she's still working on the head laceration woman, which Carter's like, still? What the hell? Should take <sighs> like two. That should take like two minutes. Um, Lucy is doing Tybo with uh, Billy Blanks in the room, and she... <laughs> Carter opens the door and she kicks and she accidentally kicks Carter square in the chest. Fucking iconic. Yeah, hits his head and shatters the glass on the uh, on the door and they get him on a backboard and Chuni says, "Oh yeah, maybe she'll go to lo- class with Lucy sometime." So just peak Chuni, I love it. Yeah, she, yeah, because Lucy's like, "Oh yeah, I'm definitely gonna go." <laughs> First time we've gotten to see Carter do any physical comedy in a while, like real true, you know, like. Like, I'm thinking of Blizzard physical comedy with Carter where he had the cast on and, like, he was stumbling through the hallway with it. Like, it's been a long yeah. time since we've gotten good Noel Wiley physical comedy. Mm-hmm. And really good camera work in this scene. Like, yes. when Lucy does the kick, it's just, like, right into the camera. Mm. And then yeah. Carter just goes, boof. <laughs> yep. Uh, Jeannie goes to talk to Doug to find out what's going on and asks if Doug needs anything. To which Doug responds, you know, you're the first person to ask me that all day. It's like, of course, th- of course she is, Doug. You're, you're not the victim here. Shut up. Um, but he is, we find out he's barred from seeing patients at the moment and is catching up on his paperwork. And then the attorney calls Doug down to one of the side treatment rooms to talk. It's the detective. Yeah, it's. It, I I I thought they were the same person. Yeah, there's two different guys, and we we'll get into the detective when we get into the next clip. But I. But yeah, there yeah. there are two different people, and it makes me wonder if there was a deleted scene because they they do go out of their way to like name check the detective and mention like what he's what his part in the story is, and then we really don't do anything with the detective. So I'm curious if there might have been a deleted scene or something that delved more into that. Um, but just on the genie thing, I just want to touch on real quick. Like this is something I really like because it, it represents to me like kind of a chance that the writers are taking here of like, because Doug and Jeannie really 
don't have a ton of interpersonal history as characters. Mm-hmm. Like, there's not really a ton of, like, memorable Doug and Jeannie moments. They just, they would cross paths occasionally, and they would, you know, uh, exchange pleasantries and stuff. But there's not really a ton of, like, inter-character history between those two. And so it really doesn't make sense on paper to have her be playing any significant part in his exit story. And yet, it works, like mm-hmm. it they find a way to make this work and they find a way to like showcase her in a season where she really hasn't been showcased. We've talked a lot about how Jeannie has been really pushed to the background this season and they managed to find a way to include her in this story that feels organic, feels like it mm-hmm. it doesn't feel forced and again gives a a character who hopefully going to is going to benefit from Doug's exit by having more screen time and more chances to shine within the story. And gives her a chance to show what she can do. Remind everybody, goddamn Gloria Rubin, like she can do the thing. Like she can be a big part of this cast and carry the load. And I just, I, I love that they're giving so many opportunities to so many characters. It's such a like, you know, I'm not, I'm not attributing this to them because to him entirely, but it does feel like a very Clooney thing to do, doesn't it? Like it feels like a very mm-hmm. like George Clooney, like all, all for one, one for all kind of attitude yeah. of like, Basically. this is not all about me. I want this to be about the ensemble. Based off what we've heard from our interviews, yes, I would agree. Yeah. Um, so either way, he gets called down to a separate room to talk to the attorney and the detective. Um, Mark is in the suture room when Mobilage and his wife, I already forgot how to pronounce it. Kubi. Kubi, come in. Um, the wife is confused and doesn't understand why Mobilage would need a urologist. And that they just sort of cut off the yeah. scene pretty pretty what's the word abruptly abruptly thank you we're recording this at a different time than our normal <laughs> stuff and i got a lot of shit on my mind right now so i'm just a little you're doing great sweetie. i do words good you're so, doing great yes uh so let's go into our next audio clip it's a little long and there is some a few silent pauses in there so do not adjust your podcast app we are still going um doug goes in to talk with uh, the detective in the room by the elevators i'm a seat doctor you sure you don't want some coffee? I got an extra one. No, I'm fine. Well, I guess I'll have to drink it myself. Can't get enough of this stuff. Who's that? It's Detective Brannigan. He's part of the uh, felony review team. We investigate all uh, first-degree murder cases. <laughs> I'm not trying to hang you out to dry or ruin your career. But um, if you showed Mrs. Abbott how to alter the PCA to deliver a, uh, a fatal dose of dilaudid, you can be held accountable for Ricky Abbott's death. <clears throat> now, Miss Hathaway said that Ricky was getting uh, 80 mics of dilaudid an hour through the PCA. Mm-hmm. Mics is uh, micrograms. And that Ricky's mother could give him a, uh, a booster of an additional 120 every two hours. That's right. But she was uncertain as to uh, how much dilaudid you originally placed in the machine. It was empty when... Uh, Detective Brannigan examined it a few minutes ago. Mr. Sullivan. I've dedicated my life to pediatric medicine. I've cared for dozens of dying kids. Kids in agony, pain. You and I can't even imagine. Ricky Abbott was going to die on the month or a week or a day in hours and nothing 
I did or, or could have done was going to change that. His mother had already watched one son die from the disease, and she was sitting there watching her second son die in a horrible death from something that she passed on to him. Sometimes it's impossible to save a kid's life, and the only thing we can do is save them from suffering. Leave them with a little dignity. In the end, that's all they have. Tell me, were, were you relieving the, uh, the child's suffering, or were you relieving your own? If you were so certain you were doing the right thing, why didn't you administer the uh, lethal dose yourself? You're the doctor. You could have stayed. You could have made sure there were no complications. That he really did die with dignity. But you left. You knew that killing that child was wrong. That's why you, you snuck out of the house before dawn, isn't it? You didn't want to be there, did you? You didn't want to be there. Because you knew killing Ricky Abbott was wrong. Holy shit, that attorney guy is Ugh. so much better than he has any right to be. Like, I know. For my money, this is the best scene of the show so far. Yes. Like, it's so yeah, it's good. So... Lizzie and I just, like, paused it after that just to be like, well, we just had to take a minute. The only other time we've had to do this with a TV show was Game of Thrones. There was one particular episode um, where a character jumps out a window. There's just, it's a silent, no dialogue or like very, very quiet opening mm -hmm. for like five, the first five, ten minutes, and then it ends with a character committing suicide. And we had just everything landed so perfectly with that that we had to pause and take five minutes. And this had that exact same weight, yeah. especially when the attorney says, you did it for yourself. Yes. That's where it yes. that's where it goes from good to great in my mind. Yeah. Because up to that moment, it's like, all right, this, these two are like, okay, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm picking up what you're putting down. And then when he turns that back on him and you see that little smile come across Doug's face and it's just like, holy shit. It's like a play. It plays yeah. out like a play, like of just like yeah. two guys across a table talking to one another. And again, shout out to Martin for the lack of fucking score in this. Yeah, instance. exactly. That's what makes the scene over. That's what puts the scene over the top for me. No it's score at the, all. The exact lack of any music. Like in those it. quiet moments, you can hear the very faint murmur of the hospital. Uh huh. But that's it. It's so good. Every fucking beat works to perfection. Yeah. And I love and it. it. In a show that's had, even the first five seasons, a lot of excellent scenes, this is the best for me. And I figured out why I was confused about the attorney, ver attorney versus the detective. Because when you guys said detective, I thought you were still talking about this guy. Mm -hmm. So I was like, but that's the same guy as earlier. And he said he was an attorney. So I okay. was just confused on I what we were all talking about. Got it. So Detective Brannigan was a separate guy. He, he was. was like fleeting. Yeah, I was confused too. And, that, and that's why oh, I was. That, that's what I was saying a few minutes ago because uh, there are two guys in the room when Doug yeah. comes in, and then one of them leaves. It's a, it's the attorney guy here, and then there's a black guy uh, detective. Yeah. 
Detective Brannigan, we later find out. And he just kind of leaves and never comes back, and we never really do anything with him. But he does get mm-hmm. – that's why I think there might have been a deleted scene, because he mentions him by name, and he says, mm-hmm. like, what his role is in this whole yeah. investigation. Um, and Detective Brannigan is played by actor Billy Mayo, who appeared with Clooney in the movie The Perfect mm-hmm. Storm, as well as uh, The Green Hornet and Clock Stoppers, among many other things. 107 credits to his name, and he did pass away in 2019. And he's a definite, oh, hey, it's that guy, which is crazy because you don't really get to see his face in this yep. episode uh, other than for like a brief fleeting moment. But if you see a picture of him on IMDb, it's like, oh, that guy. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Just chef's kiss. Yeah. Everything yeah. everything about it is perfect. I've... Mm. So good. So good. And a character, like I said, going back to when he first appeared, a character who we shouldn't care about. It, we, we, sh- yeah. we should not care about and, and should not play any significant role in this story whatsoever other than to just kind of push the, keep keep rolling the ball up the hill until we get to the end of the episode so we can roll it down the hill all next episode. But yeah. other than that, like, we should not care about this character at all. And yet he manages to have, like you said, maybe the best two-minute sequence of any sh- any episode of the show to date. And mm-hmm. it just mm, so so good. Oh, God, can you tell I don't want to talk about this next thing? Do you want me to do uh, it? No, I just I highlighted it. I did highlight this one on purpose because I wanted to rail about how much I hate it. But okay. we go from there to Lucy examining uh, uh, Carter's X-ray. Uh, no sign of a break. He he may have a hairline fracture of one of his ribs. Um, Carter says he feels like an elephant sat on his chest. Then she goes to clean up the cut on his forehead and then does this like weird. My soul wanted to leave my body as I was watching this scene. Like something else is going to sit on his chest very soon. I was like the whole time I was like, don't do this. Why are we doing this? This is terrible. I do love the music though. While it's happening, the little guitar riff. Yeah. That's going on. It's just, I don't know. Like it just, this is, so this is another thing that, that um, it gets brought up whenever Noah Wiley's behavior around this time is talked about. Uh, this is about the time where he started to develop a very big head about himself as John Carter, the character, and didn't like newbies coming around and had a very uh, uncomfortable relationship with uh, Gordon Vishnick when he showed up yeah. and was you know, on record as being quite shitty to Kelly Martin. And this was apparently one of the like bones of contention between the two of them was that he kills off the Lucy and Carter dynamic because he felt like Carter hooking up with a med student was beneath Carter as a character and that he would never do that. And uh, in that instance, I do sort of agree. I don't agree with his justification, but I agree with the end game. Like, I don't think that it's necessarily beneath Carter. I just think that this is a shitty idea. And I just think that this doesn't really have a ton of justification for it, but I don't know. Lauren, do you have something to say? Can I point out the hypocrisy that he's totally fine with as a med student hooking up with a supervisor with, <laughs> yeah. um, why can't I think Abby. of her name right now? Abby Keaton. With Abby. But to hook, I mean, I'm, I'm glad that he doesn't want to be a slime ball. I'm glad that he's like, mm, See, I'm, let me, let me believe, let me believe, yeah. let me believe that that's why he said it was beneath him, that he, that he thought Carter was too pure a soul to let me, be, let me have it. <laughs> Let me choose to believe that he had some grain of good reasoning for ending this instead of just not wanting her to be paired off with him. Just. Yeah. Mm. And I think that is what, in my mind, I think that is what it is. I, I think it's that he didn't want Lucy to get too much shine as a character. Yeah. Not that there was any like great moral injustice being done of, yeah. of the power dynamic being exploited. 
but, but I will say this because this next thing on the notes is mine. They manage, if we didn't know the backstory and we didn't know how problematic all this shit actually was, both from a, you know, med student hooking up with a superior and from what was going on behind the scenes, this scene, they do have some pretty good chemistry once they stop yelling at each other. Like, they are, they are, they're good scene partners. Like, yeah, they had a lot of shit going on backstage, mm-hmm. but, like, they make any scene they're in work. Yeah, I think it's Lucy's facial expressions uh-huh. that really yes. sell it. Just, it, she's like... I know what I want. Right. I, yeah. I, I I agree. I think that she's carrying the bulk of the weight here yeah. in terms of like making this work. Yeah. Cause I don't, I think you can almost see on his face that he's like not a hundred percent sold on this idea and that it's just like going with it because that's what they want him to do. But yeah. she sells this. She takes this yeah. from like making zero sense whatsoever to at least making some sense, even though I'm still not a fan of it. Right. It at least is in the context of the story it's sold properly yeah and um we also we also get a little bit of that earlier when she when she asks chuni like was he checking out my ass he was checking out my ass and chuni's like mm-hmm. and she goes <laughs> like yeah nice. that, and I, yeah that's where it really starts i guess because like if you remember just a few episodes ago before she went off on her surgical rotation like she was practicing telling him off in the mirror about right. her evaluation like she's she you can tell that like he's having a, a direct impact on her you know, education, career, life, like she is, that's an adversarial relationship. And now just a few episodes later, it's supposed to be like, oh, he was checking out my ass. Isn't that cute? Yeah. Like we're fine because we, we went on this great adventure together and now I don't, I went and I did my surgical thing for three episodes. I'm an adult now. I'm going to come back and have all this different confidence. And yeah. And we were just talking about it with the last couple episodes, how nice it was to get the two of them away from each other for a while. And to have grown up Lucy. Right. It did so much for her character and it feels like a backslide to bring her back here and basically just turn her into a flirty sex object. I would argue that this is the evolution of grown up Lucy. Like knowing what she wants, being empowered by her newfound confidence that she had got on her surgical rotation and just be like, I want to fuck Carter. Right. And I'll agree with that. Like female empowerment, great. Yeah, whatever. Fuck who you want. But I don't like that grown-up sexy Lucy comes at the expense of competent medical Lucy. Right. Yeah, I think as a That's as a, it seems like. a human being it's an evolution. Like as a as Lucy right. as Lucy Knight the human being it's an evolution, but I do think uh creatively, narratively and fictionally as a as a plot device, I do feel like it's a bit of a downgrade to take her from competent Benton uh companion you know yeah yeah, like working with them competently and and being on the level with them to now she seems to be taking a step back uh like that carter love interest that whole tybo thing where instead of actually focusing on the medicine like she would have done from day one now she's like well how much does it cost and how much weight did you lose and i really have to do that early in the morning like it's just so i don't know it feels like a step back to me yeah all right, and let's go to our next audio clip. Uh, Doug is watching the L go by outside when Carol joins him. Storm's finally here. Romano closed my clinic. Why? Because I helped you get the PCA. Well, Ricky was dying. I was there. I know he was dying. I didn't know you were going to help his mother. Use a piece of my equipment to administer a lethal dose of Dilaudid. I didn't want to get you involved. Oh, but Doug, I was involved. I mean, were you planning on telling me any of this ever? 
I don't know. I hadn't decided. What about you promising Mark never to prescribe narcotics? I mean, had you decided on sharing that information with me? I did what I thought was right. Damn the consequences or whoever else gets hurt, right? I was willing to live with the consequences. Mark and Carrie are facing disciplinary action. My clinic has been closed, which means hundreds of patients have no place else to go. The police are questioning the entire ER staff. Your actions carry consequences, Doug. It's not just about you. Do you even give a damn? Hey, hey, don't do that. Don't walk away. Why not? You don't need anybody else. You are a country unto yourself. You know, you just make decisions, ruin people's lives. Narcissism elevated to a high art. Carol, Carol. What? Sorry. That's what you always say, Dad. Actions have consequences. <laughs> it's not just about you. God damn right, Carol. When Holy he, shit. When he doesn't realize the ripples, he's like, yeah, I'll live with it. Like, if he loses his job, fine. But, like, there are so many other things that are going to happen because you did this. Just mm -hmm. holy shit. Also, and have I mentioned lately how much I love Juliana Margulies? Yeah. No, so thank you. Yeah. Um, also, when he said he was suffering, and she's like, I know I was there, dumbass. Right. <laughs> Like, just don't pull that shit with me. I've just, been with you for this whole patient. God. No. I'm I'm just, I'm absolutely good. The thing I'm going to miss most about George Clooney is him and Carol. Yeah. yeah. How they do both romantic, silly, fun, dramatic. They're, they're the complete package yeah. in terms I, of on-screen chemistry. I am so glad she's not letting him get away with, like, how he wants to think about this situation. Mm -hmm. Like, go Carol for... Like, growing up, growing into this relationship, and standing up for your own shit. Yeah. It's not just her own shit. It's but I'm, everyone's. Right. I but, mean, I, I get what you mean, yeah. but, like, it's just, it's everyone's shit. Mm -hmm. Literally everyone's, because they're questioning the entire ER staff, so everyone is involved now. Mm-hmm. And, and based on, you know, events to, to end out the episode, like, he's still, even after this conversation, doesn't fully grasp what it is she's getting at here. So it's like... And, and if there is any aspect of this Doug exit story that I take issue with or I, I gripe about, it's that I feel like he should have lost more out of this story. Like, I feel like he really should have suffered bigger. And I, I, I think part of it is is their impulse or their desire to give Doug something of a happy ending and, and really less so Doug as an individual, more so than it was Doug and Carol as the couple, because they were such a like omnipresent entity over the first five seasons of this show like they're they really were the like the ross and rachel of this show so I, I think they felt obligated to give those two a happy ending but this is this represents a really big betrayal on his part of her trust her confidence her abilities as a nurse like he's like this touches on a lot of like really messy issues that i just i know they're the super couple and everything but i really have a hard time believing that they would be able to overcome this and have their happy and, ending and he completely 
destroyed everything she'd been working with with the clinic right. with that one choice. Right. And it just, you know, and, and again, getting it, and then, you know, you get into the like the legal aspects of things like she's complicit in this, like she could potentially suffer consequences of her own. And I, I still, I mean, again, I, I don't remember how every single story beat plays out uh, in the next episode, but like, so maybe there's a bit of hand wavy dialogue that explains it. But to me, I, th- I feel like this is a no brainer that he would have lost his medical license. Like, I, I yeah. feel like that's an absolute no. That would have been a number one thing of like, OK, well, you're maybe not going to jail, but you're never going to touch another patient again. Like you are you are done as a doctor. I just yeah. don't know how he is able to wriggle out of this and go off to Seattle and live happily ever after. But we'll we'll see how that plays out next episode. But I just if that's my and, and again, it's in the grand scheme of things it's a very minor gripe. But if there is one thing I can like poke holes in and, and take issue with with his story exit it would be that he just doesn't suffer enough. And that, that would be my, my thing. Yeah. I mean, you could argue missing the first, the spoiler alert for next season, the first about year of his children's lives yeah. for, they could argue that's a pretty good punishment and losing all of his friends, all of his connections yeah. in Chicago, all of those bonds that he's formed. Exiling too. Yeah. He's basically exiled. Yeah. You're, you're right. Oh man. But you could be exiled to worse places than the Pacific Northwest, it's true. I guess. It's very pretty. I think it's Portland too. I think because he mentioned a job offer from, he mentions from it. He, he, ends up in he does Seattle. end up in Seattle, but he, oh, okay. there, okay. there is a job back in the Amanda Lee stuff. There is a job offer mm-hmm. mentioned in Portland, but um, so speaking of consequences, all of Carol's clinic patients have been dumped onto the ER service. Uh, we find out Carter hasn't seen any of his patients because Lucy is still working on him in the suture room. Um, Carrie <laughs> asks them to send all clinic patients home because there's no way in hell they're going to get to them today. She doesn't want to waste their time, have them come back. It's just, it's not going to happen. Um, she also yells at Jerry to stop watching the damn TV and threatens to beat him to death with it, which I absolutely love. It is just, mm, Carrie's just not having any of it. And she sends Chuni to go check on Carter because he still has a bunch of patients on the board that he has to deal with. Wasn't, wasn't that when we talked to, to, uh, Abe and Ruby, wasn't that one of the things that he pointed out was like, that part of what Jerry, what made Jerry so great was that he had Carrie and Romano to play off of. Like that, I think that, so, yeah. That, and I think that's a perfect in- encapsulation of that right there. Of like Jerry is elevated by having Carrie threatening him, yeah. basically. Yeah, for sure. Oh God! And then so we we go into this, not into the suture room. We go, we like see in the suture room, but we just see eye level, like where the films are. And we hear really awkward things that sound like people trying to play Twister. Like, I can't quite get it. It's almost <laughs> there. Not quite. Better that just awkward noises. We're, we're assuming that they're trying to fuck and it's not working. That just maybe pants aren't coming off the way they want or whatever. Um, and they're trying to fool around, but all of a sudden Carter sits up and gets second thoughts. And um, all of a sudden, as he's sitting up and as Lucy's sitting up, uh, there's a cute goof about Lucy not locking both doors because Chuni knocks. And uh, she's like, well, I locked the door. And Carter's like, both of them? And they immediately run over to the other door and, like, shut shut Chuni out. And then Carter pops out um, and Lucy pops out of the other door as Chuni's talking to Carter. Chuni peeks around and sees Lucy and says, Lucy, you're, you're inside out. Because her sweater is inside out. Because she put it back on inside out. And it's just, there's, it's just, it's just awkward. It's just great. Chuni's great again. Uh, excellent, excellent acting by Laura for this one. 
so just so good it's the knowing older like nurse who's been there mm-hmm. she's like she's had her fair amount of hookups in the er i'm sure so she's just like put your clothes back on right girl yeah. um yeah so it doesn't look like they had necessarily gotten anything done just made out but they were trying to get something done yeah that's how i'd say yeah. it because she was still in her uh i forget what that's called Sure, Cammy. Cammy, yes. Well, she can. They can screw with her shirt sure <laughs> on, but her pants. But her pants were still like she popped up, and her pants were yeah, very much on. Yeah. So, just saying. Yeah. But uh, let's hard pivot. The fu- yeah. Let's hard the fuck out of this pivot. Um. <laughs> uh, to uh, another personal top five scene in the show. Uh, we're gonna get, like we were mentioning earlier. Uh, we get Joy and Doug outside by the river. When did it stop snowing? A few minutes ago. We don't look much like dangerous felons. Speak for yourself. I'm so sorry about all this. You okay? Are you? I've had better days. You know, when, when Michael died, I cried for days. I felt that, that I'd died too. That I'd never feel love or joy again. And then Ricky came and read to me. He'd sit on the end of the bed and tell me these stupid jokes that he'd heard in second grade. And he'd smile. God, I, I wish you'd seen him like that. have your daughter. Yeah. I guess I should go back inside and see if my ex-husband's ready to let me talk to her again. Thank you, Dr. Ross. For everything couple things i love how she opens it with boy we look like a couple dangerous felons mm. like just so good um also from a from a sound perspective because we seem to be real heavy on that this episode i love that you can hear the l in the background mm-hmm. yeah just a nice little touch they always nail ambient chicago yeah. urban noises just but... saying because that's something even up here we can hear with our windows open if the wind's right yeah so it's neat yeah and just it's this i love this scene so much just because of her mm-hmm. yeah yeah she just she carries the weight of it she carries the weight of the storyline so well she reminds us the soul of this storyline of why this is all happening that it's all about a boy and his mother and the boy suffering and the mother going through the traumatic experience of losing her second son Mm -hmm. to the same illness the same illness that she passed on yeah that it's just oh 
I forget the actress's name, but I wish we had more of her. I wish this would have been more than a four episode, a four appearance arc. Daniel's looking it up. (laughs) I know her last name is Mahaffey, but I can't remember what her first name is. Yeah, but I wish we had more of her. Her and Doug are absolutely fantastic together. I'm going to miss both of them. Valerie Mahaffey. There we go. Yeah. No, she's she's incredible, and, and you're right. She absolutely sells this, and she i mean imagine the pressure as an actress to have to go toe-to-toe one-on-one with no uh you know no no beeping monitors no crazy chaotic trauma scene to like buoy you to like oh that that all the chaos of the scene will cover up for it if you don't meet the moment here it's this very quiet the city's providing the soundtrack one-on-one emotional moment with as we were talking about earlier the biggest movie star in the world at the moment and you have to go toe-to-toe with this guy. I mean, like I said, the thing I knew her from before this was playing Martin Short's wife in a very uh, racist Disney movie from the 90s. Like, <laughs> she's not, you know, she's not really on George Clooney's level at this point. And yet, she manages to go completely toe-to-toe, line-for-line line with him, and make you feel a lot of feelings in that two-minute period. She acts her absolute She does, off. and I'm... Well, it's so good. It's like a lot of the people have told us is... ER was great as far as an ensemble show where if you showed up and you did the work, you were able to shine. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. If you brought your A game, they would give you a chance to showcase it. And she did that in spades for sure. We go from there. We go back inside where we go back to the admit desk where (laughs) Carrie points out a hickey on Carter's neck uh, to which Lucy (laughs) replies quite loudly. Actually, it doesn't really make doesn't make much of an attempt to like. Uh, whisper this or anything but she's like mm, guess I must have gotten carried away which I guess is a point in the like empowered Lucy column of like mm-hmm. she's completely at at peace with her own choices and own decision making here and but uh, well, yeah cause like Carrie's like you got a bruise did something happen or did somebody bite you and he goes oh I must have hit it on a chart falling down yeah like he, he tries to clumsily cover for it it doesn't really doesn't really work mm-hmm. you could really say I hit it on the doorknob going or down or something like that yeah, yeah. Something that would produce a circular bruise. <laughs> I, I do like my one takeaway from this that I do enjoy is Malik and Jerry grilling him about it. Yes. M- yes. Malik and Jerry drilling Carter about it right in front of Carrie is my favorite thing. And Mal- I like Malik being like, everybody knows already. He's like, I heard it from the lady in yeah. the cafeteria. Sherry and radiology. Like everybody knows. Everybody knows already. So yeah, it's once again, Malik and Jerry taking what is otherwise not my favorite part of this episode and making it really, really good. Gossipy, messy bitches. Love them. Love them both. (laughs) Uh, We go from there to Doug uh, walking with Mark, telling him that he's going to take the dive for this whole mess. Once again, learning nothing from this whole thing. Like he really like, even, even when it's spelled out for him by Carol, he still doesn't quite get it. Just lie more. That'll make everything better. Let me, let me just white knight my way through this. Damn it. Like I'm going to fix this. Uh, well, Wait, Mike Clooney is not sufficient here. I think he's like, well, it worked when I did the rapid detox for the kid. Maybe I can get away with it Maybe here. so, yeah. I guess he does have some recent uh, experience to draw from. But uh, Mark pushes back on him and says, you know, I think I'm just going to stick with the truth and not go along with you for once. Like, And, and we do get some nice like, kind of uh, resolution on really what has been – I mean, yes, their friendship has been a big uh, – plot point for the the whole time going up to now but a subplot to that has been kind of the internal 
balancing act of their professional and their personal relationship mm-hmm. that, you know, Mark addresses the fact that like, you know, Doug's never really been comfortable with taking orders from Mark. Like he's never, he's questioned his authority at every turn. And like, it's just, you know, we're, we're getting so much kind of resolution on all that here. And I, I really, really like it. And then uh, Carter tells Mark, he needs to go to an emergency bus. We're going to set up part two here. He needs to go to an emergency bus, bus versus snowplow incident. And uh, Doug tells him he's tagging along because he'll need a pediatrician. And Mark very succinctly says, the hell you are. <laughs> and Doug replies, you got, uh, you got kids dying out there. And Mark, again, very succinctly says, maybe you'll think about that next time. Boom. Mm. Yeah. So Doug uh, says, fuck it. I'm going to go drive myself. And Jeannie asks him to wait for her because she does have pediat- a lot of pediatric experience. So, yep. And she'll come along. Um, and then we go over to at the scene. We find out there are three kids trapped under the plow blade itself. The rest of them are stuck in the bus. Um, plow hit the bus dead on because of the crazy ice that's out right now. So they're going to at least get some heat into the bus and everything so the kids aren't freezing while they do these rescue attempts. And they're going to try and get these kids out. And it's a very blink and you miss it uh, appearance, but we do actually get the same fire captain, uh, fire captain Daniker, mm-hmm. who was the the guy who uh, walked Carter through everything in Exodus, mm-hmm. uh, which I thought was kind of a neat little continuity bit that they brought him back. And it's actually not his last appearance. He'll he'll not only be in part two, but he'll actually be making a couple of more appearances in the years after this. So uh, they really like this guy. They mu- they must have kept finding reasons to bring him back. Uh, but we round out the episode, or at least this part of the. This it's really hard to like. I, I don't. I'm I'm glad we don't have a ton of uh, part one and part twos to dig through because it's really hard to do yeah. this episode just in a vacuum. Um, but Jeannie and Doug are driving to the scene. Uh, asks Doug to turn up the radio as Earth, Wind, and Fire is playing, and Doug a- says, "You know, you never asked me if I did it." To which Jeannie replies that she didn't need to, that she agreed with the decision, and she wouldn't want anybody to suffer the way that ricky did and there's a, a brief pause and doug says you know you never talk about your hiv and Jeannie just replies nope and it's this very like it's very like mm-hmm. matter of fact dialogue there's not a ton of like um big revelations or like any like big monologues it doesn't make for a very good audio clip necessarily but there's lots of unspoken stuff between the two of them here that i like a lot um and then the episode ends as they slide and crash into something, and that is the end of part one. Yeah, it looks like the back of a uh, like a flatbed, yeah, yeah, something like, something like, like a that. large flatbed, like tow truck or something. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so for me, ten out of ten, best episode of the series yet. Yeah, it's up there. Per- it's it's me. It's it's maybe one and one a with exodus yeah for me so for me I, I still think exodus takes the cake for best episode thus far but this one is a close second i think yeah. just all of the sheer just emotional weight of the of joy's joy and ricky's storyline culminating and the consequences and the fallout and everyone is just everyone except for like carter and lucy and the nurses is just super intense and on their a game and clooney is proving why he is a, as good as big of an actor as he is because mm-hmm. he's got he's got the ability to back it the fuck up and everyone else plays off him extremely well as we heard in audio clips and just ah yeah i love it 
I love it so much. This is one. This this and part two are ones that I revisit very often mm-hmm. when I just want to watch a random episode because these are two of my favorites of the entire of the entire series. And you're right; it is hard to talk about part one in a vacuum, but part two is much is going to be much more action heavy mm-hmm. with the chaotic scene with the bus with the bus crash. Um, my one major complaint about it is that the fuck you have like a two hour snowstorm. <laughs> <laughs> that's not chicago what the fuck are you doing the like the thing on this the thing on the uh whatchamacallit said like oh yeah we're gonna get six to ten inches there's like barely an inch of snow on the ground yeah like what the fuck you're, you're right though they do make for a very good uh pairing with one another as like a double feature like obviously they, they do because it's one story but it would be so easy to just take a single tone story and just cut it in half for length but they do actually manage to make them feel like distinct halves of the story where this is much more, this almost is like a law and order type thing where the first half of a law and order episode is the, like the search for the uh, perpetrator. And then the, the second half of the episode is the, uh, the prosecution of them. Like that's kind of what this is. Like, it's like the first half of this story is all very much about the emotion and the interpersonal drama and all this other stuff. And then the second half is just all action. And I think they, they do play off each other very, very well. I, it, it, the only only takeaway, I think, from, from my grade on this that takes it away from being perfect is just that I have such a visceral distaste for the Lucian Carter stuff. Fair. And that, that to me, but it only knocks it down to like a 9.5. Like, it's still yeah, which, an amazing episode. I don't mind that stuff, yeah. so it doesn't really detract from me. Because you know it was coming. Yeah. Plus. So, Lauren, what would you think? You guys covered it. I'm good. You guys got everything I would have had to say, so you said it better than I could right now. So, well, what the listeners have to say about it? Uh, Lexi Y says I might get roasted on this because I don't believe any chemistry was there at any other point, but I thought the scene pictured was pretty hot. A lot of eye acting. Exactly. Yeah, that's exactly where I was at with it. For- so even if you don't, even if you don't like the pairing of Lucy and Carter. It was incredibly well done. And yep. for, for reference, the picture that she's referring to there is that the one I used for this episode was the stitches. Like, she's working on giving ah, Carter stitches. Mm. So. Got it. Thank you. Um, Katie H. says this. Oh, boy. Buckle up. My first watch, I felt very bad for Doug this episode. However, after watching it again, I feel like he should have lost his license to practice medicine. Next, why does the father have the ability to make the call to revive Ricky if he was absent for so long? Thank you, Jake Terrell Esquire, for providing us some insight on that. And Carter and Lucy, I feel like they were trying too hard. Stop trying to make fetch happen. That is all. Stepping off my soapbox now. Mary L. has been looking forward to this moment all her life. I will read her comment now. Billy Blanks and Lucy kicking Carter in the chest. Great physical comedy. By the way... Still working out to Billy Blanks. This man is on. It, this man is in his freaking fifties, post hip replacement. Wish I had his energy, strength, and power. Total badass. But ew, Lucy and Carter did it. Don't remember that. Never dip your pen in company ink. <laughs> Thank you, Mary. Ah, oh, said it perfectly. Michelle K says, "Twinkles, it's happening! It's happening, people!" I feel so sorry for Joy. I couldn't imagine being in her situation. And while I understand why Mr. Abbott wanted them to save his son, where the hell was he? And I understand... And he wanted to save Ricky for himself, completely disregarding the fact that his son was dying and in constant pain. Again, I ask, where the hell was he when Ricky was suffering and his mother was his 100% primary caregiver? As to Carter and Lucy, sorry their characters had better chemistry than Carter and Roxanne. And if Noah Wiley hadn't been such a little jerk about it, their relationship could have worked. Just saying. 
Daniel is making a completely disgruntled and disgusted face at that. Uh, I, I'm here for I'm here for no chemistry between Carter and Roxanne, but I'm but I disagree that that could have worked anyway. Uh, Laura D says again, still can't help thinking that Doug would never have been in that house if it wasn't for Carol. And yeah, I think Joy should have called the father a lot sooner to tell him to come see Ricky. It was also last minute. And no, I never thought there was any chemistry between Carter and Lucy. Just trying to force it again. Glad they cut it off before it even started. Loved him saying, you bit me though. At Baker Basic on Twitter says, holy shit. <laughs> I recently watched this, rewatched this episode and my God, I don't know how to feel. I mean, Mark and Carrie might get punished for covering up, which is fair. Carol's clinic might be closing and well, poor Ricky. I mean, it's just sad. Jeannie and Doug getting into the accident, and that's how the episode ends? Start to finish, it's all great, except whatever the hell that was between Lucy and John Truman Carter III. Also, Benton learning sign language, I love it. Oh, also, Romano's ER chief is a thing. Him being called Bullethead always makes me smile. Just crazy, but it's written and acted, written, acted, and shot so well. God, we already, we dropped the whole Benton thing and everything else. Yeah, mm -hmm. that fucking happened. Um... At the full-time dad says, this is it, the moment we've been dreading all season. Icarus has flown too close to the sun and the professional career of Doug Ross hangs in the balance. But of course, it's the tip of the iceberg as Doug's handling of the Ricky situation unravels the cover-up of the drug study breach, exposing Carrie and Mark to significant professional ramifications, his unauthorized use of the PCA machine threatens Carol's career, and his hasty rush to get out to the accident at the end imperils Jeannie's life, even though Jeannie should have been wearing a seatbelt. Watching this episode, I felt ambivalence about the potential prosecution. Kid was dying, bro. But I, but I found myself pissed at Doug's messiness. You are a country unto yourself, Carol declared. Damn right. And then there's the comic relief story thread of Carter and Lucy's brief tryst. Can we all just say barf? How y'all go from mortal enemies to mutual respect to staring at her ass and in, to sucking hella face in five episodes. I don't know what F-O-H Fuck out of here. Fuck out of here. Thank you. And... Oh, and Billy Blanks was an A1 cameo. Laughing emoji. <sighs> Did you have to cut these off, or was this all of them? Uh, no, I, I cut out a few of them, because especially as we see towards the end there, a lot of people were kind of starting to repeat themselves, because, I mean, it's yeah. there's there is so much about this episode that is so universally agreed upon as great. That it's hard Daniel, not to repeat yourself. Daniel just didn't want an hour of me com have reading people's complaints about John and Lucy. Yeah, they were already running yeah. long this episode. So. And, and there's even more to cover next week. Jesus Christ! Uh, well, that's about gonna wrap up our episode for today. Thank you all very much for watching, as always, or for listening, as always. Watching. Well, that's about gonna wrap up our episode for today. Thank you all very much for listening, as always. Uh, this show is brought to you in part by our patrons over at Patreon.com/slash the Tone Podcast. For only $1 a month, you can get access to our show notes each week. And for only $5 a month, you can get a free sticker featuring our favorite desk clerk, Jerry, two-week early access to all of our cast and crew interviews, and over 20 hours of bonus audio and video content, including the full season recap episodes, a bonus show called The Lounge, where we talk about whatever's going on for us in our lives in that moment, movie reviews, where we talk about a movie featuring an ER cast member, and flash forwards, where we do a commentary track for future ER episodes. We would also appreciate it if you would follow us on our social media accounts. We are at Set the Tone ER on Twitter. We are on Facebook at facebook.com slash Setting the Tone Podcast. And we are at Setting the Tone Podcast on Instagram. Also, be sure to check out the official Setting the Tone community on Facebook. 
Our theme music, as always, is provided to us by Andrew M. Edwards. And Daniel, where can folks find you at? They can find me on Instagram at dan.u, that is y-o-u.el. They can also find me on my other podcast, The Popular Court, my co-host Jake Terrell, where we do a different pop culture topic each episode and put it through a little mock trial. And Lauren, where can folks find you at? Folks can find me on my personal Twitter at lowbob92345, reminding everybody that we also has, we also <laughs> has, we also have whose films are those stickers, magnets with the STT logo on them, and I think that's, is that everything, or do yeah. we also have the STT stickers? I still need to get the, we still have a few of the STT stickers. Those are a fun bonus. Yeah, I'm just, I, but I like sharing so. that they're there. Because people I might like not su- know they can I have like stickers. I like to surprise people. No, I like them knowing they can get stickers with my face on them because I'm yeah. power hungry and I need to rule the world. Yeah. I still need to mail those out to existing patients. My apologies for not getting on that sooner. Um, Ping us life- if you still need one. Yeah. No, all of our patients except for like one. Need I them. was trying to help. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you can also find me on Twitter. I'm at RandomGamer, that's J-A-M, three R, as well as on the Popular Quartz YouTube channel doing a Let's Play of Mass Effect 2. New episodes of that are out every Friday. Lawrence flicking me off. And you can find those videos and much, much more at YouTube.com slash Thanks again, everyone, very much for listening. Please join us again next time, and have a great week. <laughs>